Good morning. If able, please stand for the reading of God's word. Our passage this morning is from Mark 14, verses 12 through 25. And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him, and wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, The teacher says, Where is my guest room, where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room, furnished and ready, there prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city, and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve, and as they were reclining at table and eating... Jesus said, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and say to them, say to him one after another, is it I? He said to them, it is one of the 12, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the son of man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the son of man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. This is God's words for us today. You may be seated. Thank you, Thad. My name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace. And this morning we are continuing in Mark chapter 14. Uh, we are we are not going to cover everything that is covered in the study guide. So let me just say that, yes, that is all important. But when we break out the sermons, we have to be able to address those things in the scripture in a certain amount of time that makes sense for a group like this. And so if you have questions ever, please do ask us, email us, talk to us in the lobby afterward. Know that because we didn't cover the verse that you had a question about doesn't mean that you can't get that question answered. It just means that we're not necessarily going to talk about it on a Sunday morning. We are talking in Mark about Jesus and about his return and how we ought to receive him uh, because ultimately that's going to be the end of Mark, right? Is that he is going to go away and he's going to say, wait for me. I will come back. Expect me to return. And so that's really what this whole series is about is how we receive him not only the first time, but the second time, knowing that he's returning. Jesus has been talking to his disciples in Mark and we've heard him say now a couple of times, I'm going to die. And he said it that directly at least three times, and then he's alluded to it other times. And so the conversation by the disciples, by those who are around Jesus, has to be at this point about his death, because he's made it that. And in fact, he's gone so far as to say, last week Brooks talked about uh, Mary pouring ointment on Jesus, that this is anointing him for burial. Beforehand, she's preparing him for burial. So even if the disciples didn't want to talk about Jesus dying, right, that 
he's going to make that happen anyway. He's going to bring that into the conversation anyway, so much so that he's going to take something that they thought was totally separate and he's going to make it about his death and his burial. So this is what's been happening. And now all of Judea, all of Israel is preparing to celebrate the Passover. They're preparing to celebrate the redemption of Israel, which they know is about release from slavery. They've got that in their heads. That's been true for hundreds and thousands of years, that that's what this is about. But Jesus is about to tell them that it's about more than just their release from slavery in the past. He's about to make their eyes open in a way that they've never been open before. So here's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to look at Mark chapter 14. We're going to read through this passage on communion. We will take communion later today. But we want to talk about redemption because this is what Passover and what the Lord's Supper, what communion is all about. It's about redemption. It's about our souls being saved from sin and death. So we're going to talk about that this morning. What does this passage tell us? We're talking about what the disciples knew and what some of you know. Some of you have been Christians for many years and you know many of these things. So this will not be surprising to you. But the disciples learned something. And so in what we know and what we can learn, I think there's a conversation that can happen here between what the disciples are learning and what we can learn. And I want to do that this morning. Walk us through the passages so that we can both, uh, all of us together learn something. So as we begin, would you join with me in prayer? Uh, Let's pray about this and for our need. Heavenly Father, I praise you and I thank you for healing us, for redeeming us, for saving us. Lord, I prayed with others this morning and asked that you would heal the broken, and I pray that again this morning. There are broken people here, broken men who think that they are supposed to be lordly, supposed to be great in this world, and all you're calling us to do is follow you, Lord. I pray that you would help the men in this congregation know that they can be great if they would be servants of all and in your kingdom follow after you and that you would raise them up at the right time and in the right way, but just help us as men, Lord, to be content to walk in your steps. And Lord, the broken women in here who need to hear your voice this morning, to need, need to know that their worth is from you. I pray, Lord, that they would understand that today. That as they hear about what it meant for your disciples and what it means for us to commune with you daily, that they would understand that you love them more than any man ever could, that you love them more than anything in this world could ever love them, and that you have a hope for them that is eternal. Lord, help the children in our congregation today to hear your voice and to long to know you as their father. Guide and direct our steps as we read your word this morning. I pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. So this is the setup. It's Passover. What's Passover? Well, on the first day of unleavened bread, there's a festival of unleavened bread, a festival associated with celebrating the time when Israel left Egypt. On the first day of that festival, they're sacrificing a Passover lamb. That's another part. We're going to talk about all these different parts. And the disciples say to Jesus, where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? So Jesus has been talking again and again about how he's going to die. But they all know that, hey, there's this cultural thing going on. You can keep talking about dying, Jesus, but we still have to do this thing. This is a big deal. People come from all over to celebrate the Passover. They come to Jerusalem because God directed them to. If you read in the Old Testament, he says, I want you to celebrate this feast, and I don't want you to celebrate it, all of you, in your individual homes and tents. Instead, I want you to go to the place that I call by my name, and I want you to celebrate it there. 
And so they have this practice of traveling to Jerusalem for the Passover. So that's what's happening. And Jesus says, um, I want you two to go. I want you to go to the city, find a man carrying a jar of water, follow him wherever he enters a house, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where's my guest room that I may eat the Passover with my disciples. So Jesus, even though he is the one who's leading that conversation about his death, he also recognizes this is a thing that we have to do. It's right for us to do this at this time to participate in this celebration. Uh, the man will show you an upper room, furnished, ready, prepare for us there. And the disciples went out. They went to the city and they found it just as he told them and they prepared the Passover. The only thing that I think is really significant right here that I want to draw your attention to is that even though they've been talking about death, even though the disciples are thinking about this, right? Uh, slightly just before this, Jesus heals Lazarus, raises him from the dead, and there's this comment from Thomas. He says, I think, you know, we might be killed if we go through, go through this with Jesus, if we walk through this with Jesus. He says it kind of sarcastically. Uh, the disciples know. The disciples know that there is stuff going on that's dangerous, but still they think that this is important. Jesus says, you're right, this is important. So he's preparing even in the midst of this. He tells them exactly how to find a room. He tells them exactly where the place will be. They don't have to worry about anything. There's a furnished room. This guy has it all ready. Just go and talk to him. So Jesus is showing, even amidst this conversation of death and destruction, that he's in control. He's the one who is directing things. So what are they preparing for? If you go uh, to Exodus 12 and 13 or Deuteronomy 16, you can also see it in uh, Leviticus. There's some talk about the Passover. There are all these instructions for doing this thing annually to remember that Israel came out of Egypt, that they were slaves, and that God set them free. And that's what this festival, the Passover, is all about. Um, it's, a significant, it's a significant moment in the life of Israel because up until that point, they aren't really a nation. There are a bunch of families that are living together in Egypt. They're living together in slavery, the Bible says, for about 400 years. And then God calls them out of Egypt, and he does it in a very powerful way. Many of you know the story of the Exodus. You know about the plagues. You know about the fact that there were all of these signs, these demonstrations of God's power. And that led to the people leaving Egypt and becoming a nation. So that's the Passover. And there's three significant features to the Passover. There's the blood of the lamb that's, that's uh, sacrificed. There's this feast of unleavened bread. And then there's the consecration of the firstborn. So these are the ways, these are the signs, the symbols that God uses to take his people who are not a people and make them into a people. And the blood of the lamb is pretty obvious. <clears throat> that's obvious if you read in Exodus what were they supposed to do? They were supposed to kill this lamb, take blood from the lamb, and they were supposed to put it on the posts of their door. And God said, what I'm going to do is I'm going to send an angel, uh, referred to in scripture as the angel of death, who's going to go through all of Egypt and kill all of the firstborn children. And if you have this blood from this lamb smeared on your doorpost, the angel will know that you're mine, that you're sealed, that you're part of my family. He'll pass over he won't kill anybody in your house. So that's where Passover comes from, right? This idea that the angel is going to pass over and not kill anybody in that house. So that's where that comes from, that sign, the blood of the lamb. The unleavened bread is because they're about to leave the country. They have to take their food with them. And so he says, I want you to make bread without yeast. I don't want anything that can go bad. I don't want things that are going to be problematic for you on the journey. I want you to have unleavened bread. It's going to be flat bread. It's easy to cook and take with you. Do that. 
And later in uh, Deuteronomy 16, this bread is called the bread of affliction because the bread reminds them of the time when they're afflicted, when they're in trial. And then the last thing is the consecration of the firstborn. Remember I said that one of the plagues, one of the ways that God demonstrates his power is that he's going to kill all of the firstborn in Egypt. The children, the cattle, all of them, right? All of the firstborn are going to die. And so he says, Israel, since you're not going to die, since you're being redeemed out of slavery, here's what I want you to do. As a reminder that this is how you came out of Egypt, Every time a child is born to you, a firstborn, whether it's livestock or whether it's one of your own children, I want you to consecrate that child to me. I want you to buy it back, in other words, to remind yourself that this is what happened. And this is what happens when you disobey me. Because Egypt had 10 chances, at least, we know with the 10 plagues, to ask for forgiveness, to let Israel go. They had 10 chances to say, we're going to do what God wants us to do, and they rejected him again and again and again. And so God is saying here with the consecration of the firstborn, remember, remember, every time you have a firstborn, remember how I called you out of slavery, how I called you out of sin and death, and how I gave you something that you didn't have before. So make your firstborn special. Redeem them. Sacrifice something in order to redeem them and buy them back. And remind yourself every time that I am the God who saves you. And so there's this meal. The sacrifice, the meal, the setting apart of the firstborn. And they're all part of God's plan. And the disciples know this. They're Jews. They've been raised as Jews. This is the tradition that they've been handed down from their fathers and their grandfathers, from their mothers and grandmothers. This is the sort of thing that's been taught to them since they were children. They know this. Many of you know this. If you've been in church for any amount of time, you've heard these things. You know that there's this festival. You know that it happens every year that they're celebrating coming out of slavery. So in these few verses here, 17 through 21, we see that everyone is gathered to celebrate the Passover. And Jesus then turns the conversation to his betrayal. Why does he do this? He identifies Judas. He says also to his disciples, you will all fall away in verse 27. I think he's doing this. He's talking about his betrayal. He's talking about all of the disciples being scattered when he is, when he is slain because he wants them to understand that though they've been redeemed from slavery, they all still need a redeemer. And this is something that the disciples are grappling with the entire time that they're with Jesus, and now it's very near to the end. And he says, you're still grappling with this, so I need you to understand. Yes, we're celebrating the Passover. Yes, God called Israel out of Egypt. He made them a nation. They didn't used to be a nation. Yes, you're God's chosen people, but understand, you still need a redeemer. Why do they still need a redeemer? Because you're still sinning, because you're still denying me, because in a moment, I'm going to die, and Peter, you're going to deny me, and the rest of you are all going to run away. You still need a redeemer. So he's trying to tell them this. He wants them to understand this. As they're eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them, and he said, take, this is my body. He took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank. And he said, this is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I say to you all, not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. That's the rendering in Mark. If you read it in Matthew, it says, uh, until I drink it anew in my Father's kingdom. And that'll be important in a second. But Jesus says this 
because he is trying to show his disciples that they still need to be redeemed. They've been called out. Just like you all, if you are a part of a church, if you're part of this body, you've been called out. You're here this morning because you've answered the call, even if it's only because somebody else called you specifically and drug you along with them. But you've answered the call. You're here this morning, and Jesus is saying you need a redeemer. So here's what the disciples are learning. When Jesus says this, when he says, here's my body, it's this bread. And when he says, here's my blood, it's this cup. He's equating himself with all of the symbols of the Passover. He says, my body is like the unleavened bread, the bread of affliction. He says, it's going to be broken for you, just like that bread that you break. It's, unleavened bread is like crackers, right? It's very thin um, and it's broken and they eat it that way, right? They break it into pieces. He says, this is my body, just like that bread that you had to carry in the wilderness because you were being afflicted. This is my body that's broken for you. And this blood... Just like the lamb had its blood shed and the blood was put on the doorpost, my blood is going to be shed for you. And I am like the firstborn that has to be consecrated. Only Jesus is going to turn this one on its head just a little bit and he says, I'm going to give my own life. Instead of my life being redeemed, I'm going to give my life for yours. And so he is taking all of these symbols that they know to be associated with the Passover, they know to be associated with redemption, and he's making them about him. He's saying the bread and the juice and the fact that I'm the firstborn, all of this is actually about me. You need a redeemer and I'm him. Jesus is trying to make this clear to them. He's trying to show his disciples that he is the one who brings redemption in the language that they speak. Right? You guys all know ceremonial language. You all know uh, what it means to practice a ritual or celebrate a holiday or do the same thing year after year. You all have your own family traditions, things that you do for birthdays, things that you do for Christmas, right? And the disciples are no different with Passover. They're like, Jesus, where are we going to celebrate the Passover? And everybody knows what that means. They know what it has to look like. They understand what's required. And so it's something that's ingrained in them, something they've been doing their their whole life that all of their family has been doing. Everybody understands this. And Jesus says, but you don't quite. There's more here. Let me show you with my body and with my blood what I'm going to do. Most Christians today don't celebrate the Passover because we understand that Jesus is the lamb, right? We understand that Jesus is the one who has to be broken, who has to shed his blood. And so if you're in this room and you're a Christian, you probably have not celebrated the Passover. In fact, from the earliest days, Christians have celebrated instead the Lord's Supper or communion. If you turn to 1 Corinthians 11, you see this little phrase there from Paul. This is potentially the oldest piece of Christian history that we have. And when I mean oldest, uh, I really do mean Christian history. So followers of Jesus had an oral tradition, something that they said to one another. And it was this from 1 Corinthians uh, 11, 23 through 26. This is Paul explaining the ritual of communion, the practice of communion to the believers in Corinth. And he says, what I receive from the Lord, I also pass on to you. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, he broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup. He said, this cup is the new covenant, my blood, right? Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And he, he says these words and he says them Apparently from memory, right? Like, like it's something that he's been taught because it is. 
So biblical scholars know that this little passage here in 1 Corinthians is probably one of the first things that Christians practiced. Just like they practiced Passover, now they've come to practice the Lord's Supper. And so they would say these words to each other as a reminder of what Jesus said. Before all of our books were compiled, right, they were saying these words, remembering what Jesus had done. So that's why most Christians today don't celebrate Passover. We celebrate communion or the Lord's Supper. But because of the symbolism that Jesus describes, because of the fact that he calls himself the bread and he calls himself the blood and he says, I am the sacrifice, many Christians really emphasize communion. And if you went to a Catholic church or a Lutheran church, you know what I'm talking about. The Catholic church actually teaches that the elements become literally the body and blood of Christ. It's called transubstantiation, and they believe that the body, when it's blessed by the crackers, the wafers, they call them the hosts, when they're blessed by the priest, they become the body of Christ, and the wine becomes the blood. Right In the Lutheran tradition, it's called consubstantiation. It means that the presence of God is with and in and amidst the elements, but isn't actually the elements. They didn't like the Catholic tradition, right? So they made their own version off to the side. If you were a Catholic or a Lutheran growing up, you know this, at least in part, right? You were taught this. It's very important, you were taught. You have to do it this way. But here's the thing. Jesus is saying this is a symbol. These are symbols. They are representative of me. The things themselves are not me. They are representative of me. Now, because some Christian traditions teach this heavy emphasis, others have just backed away entirely. So it's also possible that you're from that group, that you're here today and you don't even know why we do communion. You have no idea what communion is all about. So I'm glad that you're here this morning because we're talking about it. But maybe you're still struggling. Well, so those elements are a symbol about him, but, but why? Why would he do that? Why would he use food that way? Here's why. Here's what we know. Jesus says... He takes our afflictions. He says he takes our sin and death. He wants us to understand that. He wants us to understand that we need a redeemer and that we have sin and that there is death and we need it to be redeemed. And so he's using symbols that are very clear. His body, his blood, bread and wine or bread and juice, things that we are very familiar with. And then he says this, this is from John 6, and this is a troubling passage. It's a very troubling passage, in fact, so much so that Jesus' disciples, not the apostles, not the 12 closest to him, but some of his disciples said, that's a hard teaching, I can't, I can't do that, and they left. Okay, but Jesus says this in John 6, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day, for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink, and whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. And that's, that's weird stuff, Jesus. Right? Why did you have to say it that way? That's, that's hard. Are we supposed to be cannibals? Like, that's, that's weird. I don't like that. Why did you have to say it that way? He's telling us that redemption is real food, that it really nourishes us, that it really sustains us, it really provides what we need on a daily basis. <laughs> His body is true food, his blood is true drink, because daily we need food and drink. He's trying to get us to understand, yes, these are symbols, but the symbolism doesn't stop with me being a sacrifice. The symbolism continues with you needing me daily. 
So this idea, this application that redemption is real food, Jesus is trying to show them all along. He's trying to show them all along that the true food is what we need and it's provided before we need it. Think about the upper room scenario, right? Think about the upper room scenario. The Passover is going to happen. The disciples know they need to celebrate it. They don't know where they're going to celebrate it. They're going into Jerusalem. Jews from all over the known world are coming to Jerusalem. It's not like there's a lot of vacancies. It's not like there's just open rooms everywhere. They're like, Jesus, where are we going to do this? There's 13 of us, right? And if you believe Leonardo da Vinci, it was one long table and they're all sitting on the same side. Where are we going to find this spot? Where are we going to find this room for us to celebrate this thing? And Jesus knows of the need so much so, he knows it so well that he says, just find a guy following, just find a guy carrying a water jar and follow him. He's going to lead you right where you need to go. Right? He knows that we need food before we ask. He is prepared. And the true drink, it covers every sin. They knew about the slavery. They knew about needing to come out of Egypt to be a people but they still are actively thinking that they've got it all under control in their personal lives. Peter is about to say to Jesus, I will never deny you, Lord. And Jesus is like, no, you will, actually, three times before the rooster crows. The disciples do not see their need for a redeemer. And so Jesus is trying to show them with a symbol that they know that they know really well that they, in fact, need him daily, just like they need food and drink that the redemption that they need, they need to take in daily, just like they take in food and drink. They don't quite get this part about the firstborn redeeming them. He's going to show them that as well. And he's going to show them that he is the bread of life who takes away every hunger. You guys probably know this verse, John 6.35, where Jesus says, I am the bread of life. You probably heard that before, may, may resonate with you. Yeah, Jesus says that, right? He's the bread of life. What does that mean? Back in Deuteronomy 8, God is talking to Israel and he says, man doesn't live by bread alone. And Jesus repeats that again uh, in John. He says, that's true. Man does not live by bread alone. I am the bread of life. In fact, man lives by every word that proceeds from God. All of this. That's how we live daily by being here, by focusing on this, by practicing these things on a daily basis. Does that mean we have to take communion every day? No. But it does mean we need to live in him daily. We need to take him in like we take food and drink in. So we are going to celebrate communion today. We're going to do that together. And we need to be able to celebrate it to acknowledge to each other that we need Jesus, right? That's something that we need to do. But each day we have to remember when we eat and drink that what really gives us life is Jesus. This is what he's trying to do with his disciples. This is what they don't understand. They think it's still about the Passover. They think it's still about this big annual celebration. They eat flatbread in a certain way. They drink wine in a certain way. They, they do these things. They kill a lamb. They put blood on doorposts, right? They celebrate all those things. That's what they think this is about. And Jesus says, no, that's not what this is about. That was so that you could come out of slavery. But now daily, I want you to do this so that you follow me, so that you depend on me. I'm going to just tell anybody who's an usher who hasn't already got up, go ahead and get up. You guys are trying to jump the gun on me. We'll get there. It's okay. We'll have communion. It'll be great. 
But Jesus wants us to abide with him now. Abide with him. I'll explain that word in a second. In preparation for living with him forever. That word abide, it's not one that we use all the time. Right? It's really mostly in scripture. We don't talk about abiding in the same way that uh, the English speakers did a couple hundred years ago when they, when they made this translation. But this is daily living with Christ. That's what abide means. It means constant, constant closeness. So here's what Jesus says. Not in order to be saved, but because you have been saved, live with me. Treat me like food and drink, something that you're going to do daily. Not just daily, right? If you're healthy, hopefully you're doing it two, three, four, five times a day. You're sitting down to eat. And I'm not talking about just praying before meals. That's, that's great. Bless the food that you've been given. But understand that every time you eat and every time you drink, that you need a savior, you need a redeemer. So Jesus is preparing us for abiding with him forever. Again, not to be saved, but because we have been saved, he says, live with me, do this. Understand my words, understand your need of me, understand that you've sinned and that you've fallen short and that I want to give you new life. So, sorry, that's too fast. So we're going to go to communion now. Steve's going to come back up. He's going to sing one more song. As the elements are passed today, I want you to ask yourself this question. How do I daily remember that Jesus is my redeemer? What do I need to do? Is it that I don't know him well enough? Am I going to read the word more? Is it that I don't talk about him enough? Do I need to find people in this congregation to talk to him more? Do I need to spend more time in prayer? But ask this question of yourself, what do I need to do to abide with Christ? This wasn't really a, a traditional sermon. This was more of a meditation on communion. But I want to encourage you today and this week to do that, to meditate on what it means to need redemption like you need food. You think about all the things that we fill ourselves with and you know, you know what's unhealthy to eat, right? You know what makes you unhealthy when you put it in your mouth, but think about all of the things that you put into your eyes, that you put into your ears, that you fill your life with that are not real food and not real drink, that are making you fat in the sense that you're full of extra things that you don't need that are hindering your life. Or think of the ways that you're starving yourself that Jesus wants to provide for, things that are good. He says, my body is real food, my blood is real drink. And he means that, that he truly redeems us when we spend time with him, when we daily commune with him. Jesus gathers his disciples together for the Passover. They're celebrating the redemption of Israel. And he says, listen, you all need a redeemer. You don't understand this, but you do. All of you need to repent and you need to believe and you need to understand that I'm here, that my body is broken for you and that my blood is shed for you and that there's nothing that you can do, but I've done everything. And so now let's remember that. Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and he gave thanks and he said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after supper, Jesus took the cup. He said, this blood is a new covenant 
poured out for the redemption of many, for the forgiveness of sins, do this in remembrance of me. Lord Jesus, we proclaim your death. We acknowledge that you were buried, and we praise you, Lord, for you rose again. Thank you for being real food and real drink, for sustaining us daily, for redeeming us, for providing what we need. God, we don't know what we need. We don't make good choices for ourselves. We are constantly choosing what breaks and destroys us. Help us to abide in you instead. Help us to choose life today, to choose to live as you would have us live in service to one another, Lord, and in service to you. Help us to live that life knowing that you have conquered sin and death and knowing that by abiding in you, Lord, you are preparing us to live with you eternally. Give us that hope, that strength of conviction today that you make all things new. I pray in your name, Jesus.